You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mades. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blogging community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Denver Nuggets fans, everybody, check us out. It's sad. People hopping off of the Nuggets bandwagon lately. My mentions blowing up with people. I'm done with this team. We get it all the time, guys. Come on. Got to stick with them through the ups and the downs. They're just in a hole. They got to dig their way out. This episode of the show is going to be on the last 10 games. Every every 10 games or so, I, I try to take the, the temperature of the team, and I talk about how the team performed over the last 10 games, and that's what this one is. This is a great episode. If you're just getting into the Nuggets or if you haven't paid attention for a while, this is a good one just to kind of see what the latest trend is, which, which direction the team is trending, the different players. I look at the team as a whole, and then I look at all the players individually and, and, and kind of just give you a snapshot for what I'm noticing. So these are really, really good ones uh, to check out and kind of get your feet wet with the Nuggets, or just to kind of go over what you know what notes I have in my notebook over what you know what the team has been doing. Lots of analytics stuff, lots of stat stuff uh, to dive into. But before we do, we are uh, placing the order to the printer today for the Gary's Army T-shirt. So if you have not ordered. You're going to be too late. We always, uh, I think, based on the, we've, we've had quite a few orders come in, but not quite as many as the Paul Millsap shirt. So this one, I think we're going to order a few, a, a little bit fewer than with that one. So if you were wanting to get one, but you haven't ordered, you better order quick, as in right now. Otherwise, you're going to get left out. So you can go on denverstiffs.com and place an order, just 25 bucks, or you can go to dlineco.com and, and you'll see the shirt there and place the order there as well. Same price, 25 bucks. Um, so go ahead and do that so that uh, you don't miss out on this one. The Doug Mo shirt's already all sold out. Uh, I think Paul Millsap one has like two, three, four left, but not that many. So make sure you get in. I think the Gary's Army one is the coolest design ever. I think it's awesome. This uh, So this episode, we'll get right into it. This one actually it's just covering the last 10, and I actually haven't done one of these episodes, a 10 and 10 episode for the last 12 games. But the reason I'm not doing the last 12, just the last 10, is – I feel like 10 games gives you a good snapshot of trends. When you start to get past that, you know, you really start to mix different different sort of like waves. And I think the last 10 games is a really clear snapshot of what the Nuggets are, where the Nuggets are at right now. And that that basically takes you back till the 26th, the day after Christmas, um, when they beat the Utah Jazz. So they started this run with a win. They went four and six though in the in, uh, over that span. And then just a quick note here, the next time I'll do this will likely be in 10 or 11 games, which will be the NBA trade deadline. So the theme, uh, one of the themes over the next 10 games or so is going to be the Nuggets kind of, you know, trade rumors and and do the Nuggets need to make a deal? Do they need to make a big deal, a little deal? You know, what, what kind of things are out there? So, um, so that'll kind of really, really be the storyline over the next 10. But for this one, the storyline is a slump. The Nuggets, I think, in their probably their worst 10-game stretch of basketball since prior to December 15th last year. Um, So we're looking at probably over a calendar year worth of basketball where this is the most, I think, down the Nuggets have looked. Maybe the end of last season when they kind of let some of the games slip, you know, the loss to Portland and some of those things. But I would say this one is right up there with with kind of their worst stretch and and certainly for Nikola Jokic, which is who I'm going to start out with. But before we get to Jokic, I want to do some big picture stuff. The Nuggets, over the all the stats I provide you, unless stated otherwise, are just the last 10 games, so not on the air. Uh, 
105.5 offensive rating. That's good for 18th. So you could say they've been the 18th best offense uh, in the NBA, right around average. 107.4 defensive rating is 13th, so slightly worse. That gives a net rating of minus 1.9. That's 20th. So in, in terms of just raw efficiency, they've been the 20th best team over the last 10 games. A 4-6 and six record over that span. <clears throat> They've had the same starting lineup for nine of the ten games. The one game they did not, Gary Harris missed um, for family reasons, and and Will Barton stepped into his space. But other than that, it's been the same starting lineup. And this is why, you know, the, the lineup began right there at this ten-game mark. That's why I kind of like it as as a good barometer rather than going back any further. Is this is kind of a good idea of what this lineup, this starting lineup slash rotation has looked like. The Nuggets are second in rebound percentage over this stretch. That's pretty consistent. They've always been a good rebounding team, one of the top one, two, or three in the NBA, so second best in rebound percentage. They, they've allowed the fewest sec, second chance points of every team in the NBA. So despite the fact that their defense is doing so bad, this could you could either look at this two ways. One, one way would be their defense has been you know average, yet they're not allowing any second chance points. Um, or you can say that that's a good thing, that they're, they're – their ability to clean the glass is what's making them, you know, this adequate defense. Um, I, I mean, I think you can kind of pick uh, how you want to interpret that. They are twentieth in turnover percentage, so the turnover bug a little bit back. There was a the last time I did this, the they had actually not been turning the ball over very much. They're back to twentieth, twenty um, fifth in pace. This is an important one. Twenty fifth in pace, meaning they're playing the twenty fifth slowest pace uh of every team and the pace stat is flawed a little bit um but that just means that there's the 25 uh there's 25 teams in front of them that that have more possessions per game which is kind of surprising that that could be tied to a couple things one of the storylines over the last um 15 games or so has been fatigue and how many the, the rotation has shortened guys are playing higher minutes there's a handful of players i think five total that are over 30 minutes per game over the last 10 so it could be just that guys are kind of uh, of tired and that's that's slowing things down i think that's a real uh, a real possibility of uh, one explanation of one of the things that's going on with the team right now they're also 19th in fast break points so they're actually getting more fast break break points than you would expect given their pace but still not that many and you think about mile high basketball up tempo fast break style not getting a lot of that uh right now from them they're also 20th in second chance points. And there's two other reasons I bring this up. The Nuggets this year, according to Ben Falk's site, Cleaning the Glass, which I really love, a lot of interesting stats on there. Um, it, it's behind a paywall, so I, but I highly recommend it. It's like four or five bucks a month, but he's got a lot of really interesting stats. The Nuggets have not been a very good team scoring in the half court. And I'm going to bring up some stats here in just a moment about that. But they haven't been a very good at that, but they've been propped up by their, their reba offensive rebounding and and their ability to kind of get out on the break well now that they've they're below average in both of those categories you see that their offense has now taken a hit from being top 10 top six or so in the previous 10 game stretch now to 18th and I think the half court issues that have plagued this team for most of the year are still here but some of the things that were they were doing well are, are no longer here I mentioned the pace, and here's where I want to bring it up. One of the sites I love, stats.impredictable.com, has possession stats, and, and this is a better gauge of pace. The Nuggets, here's what I found interesting. 
uh, on plays after an opponent made shot. So basically when the defense is set, you know, the other team comes down and scores a basket. Nuggets have to take it out of bounds and inbound it. The defense is able to get back and get set. The Nuggets are averaging 18.5 seconds per possession on those plays. That's the fifth slowest um, mark of all teams in the NBA. So another way of looking at this, and it's not a one-to-one correlation, but it's pretty awfully close to say the Nuggets half-court offense is eating up 18.5 seconds of the shot clock, or in other words, the 26th um, fastest pace in in half-court possessions in the NBA. When you look at their shots after a defensive rebound, I mean, the other team came down, shot, missed, Nuggets get the rebound, and they come down. Now, these are plays that typically the defense is not set or at least less set. So these include transition. These include everything basically that's not like a steal, right? Um, so you're not taking the ball out of the net. You just get the rebound and you go. The Nuggets are averaging just 11.2 seconds per possession, which I think is eighth fastest. And um, the reason that's important is because uh, a couple reasons. First of all, that's the second biggest gap between the two. This is, again, over the last 10 games. The only team with a bigger gap between fast break possessions or, or transition possessions and half court possessions is Cleveland a team that's adjusting to a, a new high-profile player and also just kind of in a general slump. Denver, the biggest gap. And what that tells me, this is a thing, this is again matching stats and eye test here, is that Denver is having a really hard time over the last 10 games in the half court creating an advantage. When they do create an advantage, they're very, very good at, at scoring off it, and that's what transition is. Transition is when a team, or more often than not in transition, a team starts with an advantage. The defense is scrambling back. There's mismatches because you just have to pick up whoever you're nearest and guard. Um, you already have the advantage, and the Nuggets are very good at, at, at exploiting that, but what they're not good at is, is, is creating one in the half court right now, and I think that, spe- that, that speaks to that, but also the eye test speaks to that. There's a lot of Nuggets running some sets. The defense is clogging it up and, and not allowing it, and then Denver pulling out and having to, sh- to create something ugly at the end of a shot clock. A lot of that going on. Another thing that's going on, the Nuggets are 29th in first quarter scoring differential. They're getting outscored in the first quarter by 4.9 points just in the first quarter alone. Ironically enough, they have the third best third quarter scoring mark of 4.9. They're outscoring opponents in the third quarter by 4.9. So a lot of the lineup, I mean, I'm going to talk about lineups a lot because I think that's one of the big storylines of the last 10 games. But it's important to, to hedge everything um, with, you know, it's the same rotation in the first quarters as the third, and the Nuggets are really good in the third, really bad in the fourth, so, so that's kind of weird. And then lastly, team stats here. The Nuggets are taking the fewest corner threes, actually by kind of a wide margin. Over the last 10 games, the fewest corner uh, three-point attempts. They're also taking the third most above the break threes. So uh, there's a lot of different ways to score in the NBA, and it's I think a lot of people get caught up in the analytics saying, oh, the corner three is the second best shot in basketball outside of a shot at the rim and that's true statistically speaking but every team has to exploit what they're best at and I think it's probably 50-50 right now that the Nuggets um, have a a bunch of guys that are taking just kind of naturally better at taking above the break threes but also I think it's a sign of a a little bit of a sign of an unhealthy offense especially an unhealthy pick and roll offense that the Nuggets aren't getting a lot of kickouts to the three uh, to the corners for three-point shots. So uh, a kind of a random thing that I don't really have an answer for as to why that is, but something to kind of keep an eye on.
right, we'll start by looking at Nikola Jokic. Over the last 10 games, 15.2 points per game, 9.5 rebounds, 6.5 assists, 39.3% from the field. Not from the three-point line, from the field. That has to be. I, I don't know this for a fact. I would wager money that is the worst 10-game field goal percentage of Nikola Jokic's career. It might be the worst 10-game uh, field goal percentage going back all the way to – you know, when he was in, in like school and in, in junior programs out in Serbia. 26.3% three-point field goal percentage. So his three-point shot has completely um, fallen off. He really started hot to start the year. And he's taking 3.8 per game, which is quite a few. So almost four, four three-pointers a game for him. Um, he does, however, despite the awful field goal percentage numbers, the, like, the absolutely worst of his career, he still has the team's best offensive rating. An interesting thing, I think, with Jokic, because I'm you listen to the show, you know that I'm probably Nikola Jokic's biggest fan. You know that I am also not just a fan, though, because I think I'm a fan of his game. I'm a believer in his talent. I think that he is, uh, even when he's not scoring, still affects the game in so many positive ways. And this is kind of evidence of that. Now, obviously, the Nuggets are four and six. They're not winning games and they need his scoring. But um, the offensive rating of 109.7, and oh, by the way, I think the nearest one to him is like two or three points per 100 possessions below. So the team's offense, no matter who he's playing with, just goes to a whole other level. So um, worst 10-game stretch of his career, maybe the worst since the the Jerkic, Balkan, Buddy Ball lineups. Um, a lot of similarities, I think, in, in how he looks, uh, how he looked back then and how he looks now. Now, it is important to say that you know, I'm going to talk a lot about the Jokic Plumley lineups. Correlation does not imply causation here. And what I mean by that is Jokic could very well be in a slump no matter what lineups he was playing with. It's entirely possible. I happen to think that the two things go hand in hand. The fact that Jokic has played the power forward position to start and has played heavy minutes with, uh, I think like one third of his minutes or so roughly with Mason Plumley. I, I, I personally believe that has a lot to do with why Nikola Jokic has entered the slump. I don't think it's the only reason, and I also don't think it's a, it's a, an excuse for Jokic. One of the things, and I talk with Matt Moore about this a lot um, at, at basketball games, I sit right next to him, is, you know, it didn't work out with, with Nurkic. It, it, it's looking ugly so far, albeit in a kind of a smaller sample size. Earlier in the year, I... If you, you've listened to the show, I've defended the Jokic Plumley lineup quite a bit. It had some really early success, especially um, you know after Paul Millsap went down. It looked like that lineup was going to be okay. It has looked really bad. It's totally regressed to the mean over the last ten games, um, and so so I was one that kind of supported that. And I and I have to like take a step back. My I admit that I was wrong on that read, and now I think that it, it is uh, something that he has to change. But nonetheless. I don't think it's an excuse for Jokic because one of the things I talk about with Kenneth Farid is, you know, he's a great player in a narrow role, but it's hard for him to kind of fit in around different lineups. There's certain lineups you just can't play. The Moutier, Nurkic, Farid lineup was bad. Plumley, Farid lineups are bad. Like you have to, that's not good when a player is that narrow, narrowly focused. Now Jokic is with every one, two, or three on the roster. Jokic is like uh, takes everybody to another level. The power forward positioning has been interesting. With Paul Millsap, you know, the score, the offense has gone down, but the defense stepped up in a huge way and, and made it such a huge positive, one of the best positive five-man units in all of the NBA. With Mason Plumlee and, to a lesser extent, Yusef Nurkic, it hasn't been the case that, you know, it looks like bad pairings. And, that, and I think that 
while it's not using Jokic optimally, I also think there's things that he can personally do to kind of better grow his game so that he is easier to fit in with lots of different people. So just kind of a bug to put in your ear. Nearly one-third of his shots over the last 10 games are, are three-pointers. This is so, so indicative of how his game has changed this season compared to last, and especially over this 10-game stretch. He is taking an enormous amount of threes, and he is not getting anything at the rim. He is tied for the sixth-most field goal attempts at the rim per game of all of the Nuggets. He was second last season. And, and mind you, he was second last season despite playing like the fifth most minutes or sixth most minutes. He's tied for sixth this year over the last 10 games despite, I think, playing the second or third most minutes. So he's playing a ton of minutes. Mason Plumley is getting more shots at the rim um, than Nikola Jokic. And he's shooting just 47.2% at the rim when he does the rare opportunities he does get there. He was shooting 67.9% last season. He was one of the league's best finishers in, inside on high volume. So... An interesting thing that as we as I'm going to turn my attention here now to the Jokic Plumlee lineup and, and throw out some stats for you. One thing I think is true of Jokic's year this year is that he is not getting assisted baskets very much um, relative to last year, and especially not getting assisted baskets in in the post up and in the pick and roll. Um, and that's why his his percentage drops twenty percent. You know, over this last ten games compared to last year, a little bit of that is a slump, and then his three pointers going so far up. Um, one interesting stat that I that I noticed, somebody asked me to look this up, and I, I thought it was an interesting question. How does Jokic's points created, meaning points and points off of assists, change when you know he's with Plumlee, when he's not with Plumlee, etc.? And the interesting thing, I ran it actually for a couple different front court combinations just to see if there was anything there. Jokic's points created off of assists are almost identical no matter what lineup it is, which tells me Jokic as quarterback doesn't change no matter who he's playing with, Plumlee, Nurkic, Fareed, Lyles, whatever. He is he can quarterback the offense. It's just about a matter of touches and this and that. It's his scoring that suffers, and his scoring is the, is what ha, what goes down depending on the different lineup combinations. This was true. The same was true of him last year, by the way. Um, the assist pretty steady, all of that stuff, but his personal points uh, change. So Something to kind of keep an eye on as we think about the slump. Now, the Jokic Plumley lineups. Together, they have a 116 offensive rating, 117.8 defensive rating. That's a minus 1.8 net rating over the last 10 games. In Jokic minutes without Plumley, has a 117.7 offensive rating and a 103.5 defensive rating. That is a plus, let's see, 14.2. So from minus 1.8 to plus 14.2, and that's almost entirely a defensive change. The offense, 116 to 117.7, that's not a huge bump up, um, but the defense does kind of go to another level. Now you, you, you think about it, Malone has talked about how he likes that big lineup because of their ability to defend. Over the last 10 games, the opposite has actually been true. And if you look at Mason's minutes without Jokic, I think the same is, has been true. Now, some of this is you're guarding first units. It's a 10-game sample size. When we're talking about net ratings over 10 games, we're really only talking about like hundred and maybe 250 possessions with these guys. I don't know how many it is. So um, there's a lot of noise in this data. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't draw like overarching season long conclusions on any of the stats I'm going to throw out you for 10 games, especially when we talk about net rating, offensive rating, these things, you have to take them all with a huge grain of salt. But what you can extrapolate from this is how the team has performed over the last 10 games. And that is to say that the defense has actually suffered. And let's look at why that is. 
Oh, and by the way, almost equal minutes with and without there for Jokic. So it's not like one he's played significantly more than the other. They're pretty much even. He's played almost, I guess, half of his minutes with Plumlee, it looks like. I said a third earlier. It's about half. Teams are shooting 48.8% from three against uh, the Jokic-Plumlee lineup. So basically almost 50% from three on 80 attempts. Teams are shooting 54.8% at the rim against that lineup on 73 attempts. So 50% from three, that's scorching hot. Is that luck? Is, is Have teams just gotten lucky against them? Um, and teams have just been hot and knocked down shots against that lineup, and it's made it look a lot worse than it actually is? Or is it indicative that the team is defending differently, especially from the three-point line when they're on? I would say... There's no way this is just a wild guess. I would say it's probably 50-50. I think half of it is teams of pro- 50%, even in an empty gym, you know, even playing against a high school team, 50% is still is still really, really good. So this is probably a bit of a unlucky run that that unit is running up against. But at the same time, and I talked about this in the San Antonio game, if you're following me on Twitter, with Davis Bertans, who who knocked down, I think, four threes out of his first five, right, with Nikola Jokic guarding him. And I thought that um, Greg Popovich specifically would, went to that lineup earlier than usual in his rotation, especially in the third quarter where he called a timeout in the first minute and a half and then went to Bertans, who immediately came in and knocked down a three-pointer. That, that I think that... The, that was a smart play by Popovich because it puts Jokic in the unfortunate position. When he's guarding a stretch four, it puts him in the unfortunate position of having to help off of a shooter and protect the rim, as Malone would like, and and closing out to the three-point line. And we all know that Jokic is among the slowest-footed players in the entire NBA, especially defensively. So I do think it's a little bit of 50-50. The, and this is a, a, a thing I've said about Malone for a long time. This is a real perceived disagreement with that I have with him based on things that he said, but also the way that he coaches, like some of the stylistic trends that the Nuggets have had for three seasons under him. I think he overvalues protecting the rim. And protecting the rim is like the most important thing in basketball. So it's not like when I say he overvalues, it's not that I think it's unimportant. I think it's extremely important. But there, he always talks about trade-offs, and, and most teams have to be good at one and not, uh, sacrifice one for the other. Very few teams can do both, take away the three-point shot and the shots at the rim. It's very, it's the hardest thing to do in basketball, and I think offenses are getting better and better, and defenses are kind of at a plateau where they can only get so good at this. So, um, But I think that the scale, and this is evidence for it, Malone loves the Plumlee-Jokic lineup because it defends, but what, it really, what we're really saying, at least over the last 10 games, is that it defends the rim. It defends the paint. It's not defending the three-point line, and it's not defending overall. If you look at lineups with just Jokic, again, these are like 50-50. They're like almost the exact same amount of time um, with the Plumlee-Jokic as, as, as with Jokic and non-Plumlee. If you look at Jokic without Plumlee, teams are shooting 29% from three. 93 attempts, so 80 attempts versus 93 attempts. Teams are shooting 72% at the rim against Jokic without Plumlee on 82 attempts. So the numbers in terms of attempts are almost identical, but the the percentages change. Teams are scoring at the rim a lot more when Plumlee is not in there with Jokic, but they're not scoring from three. So that's an example of a very, very clear trade-off between the two. But again, the only the only stati- the only metric that really matters at the end of the day is how is is your defensive efficiency or, or how many points does your team, the other team score on you? If, if they're scoring at the rim at will, but overall they're scoring less points, that's a win. And for me, I, I, 
some of this is probably luck and noise from a, from the sample size, and maybe they're going to shoot better when it's just Jokic from three over the next ten games. Maybe they'll shoot worse against the Plumley Jokic combo. But to me, it's pretty stark. Um, it, it, it matches also the eye test of what the Nuggets are prioritizing, and unfortunately, they're getting burned from behind the line. Jokic effective field goal percentage in lineups with Jokic with Plumley. 34.9%. Oof, that's effective field goal percentage. That that counts the value of three. It's painful for me to say that. Jokic, like, last year, one of the most efficient high-volume players, especially at the center position in a long, long time. 34.9% is, like, bad for a rookie. So this is – when I say this is a cold stretch for Jokic, this is a really, really cold stretch for him. His effective field goal percentage in all of their lineups is 43.2, which is a bad effective field goal percentage, but still – nine percentage points better than it is with Plumley, So he is in a slump no matter what, but he's really in a slump in those Plum, Plum Kitsch lineups. Um, so, so yeah, so those are some of the Plumley jokic tests. Now, I have to say this because I, I know a lot of people are going to run with it. I do not think this is the only issue with the team. I do not think it's, an, it's a matter of, oh, Malone put Plumley in the starting lineup and all of a sudden the team fell apart. I think that is the biggest catalyst but it is one of maybe six or seven big things that I think are plaguing the Nuggets right now. I will say now, and with regards to this Plumlee-Jokic lineup, my belief, and I can't say this strongly enough, I know I talk about it a lot, I think that Nikola Jokic is far and away the team's best player, and I think he's one of the better players in the entire NBA, despite the slump. And for me, one of the things that I think is concerning about this entire season, and I understood it with, with Paul Millsap, such a great player, that I, I, I completely get why they did it, with him but for me I would look at what the Nuggets did well last year which was playing through Jokic and almost everybody on the roster deferring to Jokic when he was on the court and letting him kind of be the quarterback and run the show and this year it hasn't been that and for me I to me that's probably the most concerning thing of this last 10 games but also of the season in that I think that that they are wasting a, a in some ways wasting a really really great asset by not playing with through him more consistently. So part of it is when you put Plumlee in the lineup, defenses are just able to sag off of him more. I don't think Plumlee himself really has he has great instincts in other aspects of the game. I don't think he has great instincts in the dunker spot or or on the weak side. I don't think he's great at, at spacing the floor even with his his limited shot in these things. I don't think he's great and because of that it takes Jokic out of his natural environment. If I were the Nuggets and I were trying to look to fix this problem, I would start and stop with with Nikola Jokic and how do we get him going and how do we get him quarterbacking the offense and if it costs if, if the sacrifices come on defense so be it you try to improve your defense but we have to get back the golden goose that we have which is this incredible offense that seems to run when when we play through Jokic and when we surround him um, with the right lineups. that's my Jokic rant I know there's I know there's a lot of people listening to this that are that are probably rolling their eyes but I do think it's the biggest factor even though I do talk about it a lot Mason Plumlee 22 minutes per game over the last 10 7.8 points 6.8 rebounds 2.2 assists the funniest stat of the entire thing 62.5 percent field goal percentage he's got the best field goal percentage on the team this it reminds me of the Nurkic thing in, in, in a couple ways. If you remember the first eight games when the Balkan Buddy ball lineup last year was going, the Nuggets were not winning. They were playing poorly. The, 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 you know, all these things were looking bad, but Nurkic was looking great. The same thing is happening with Plumlee, where Plumlee is looking great. Like, you know, he's finishing, he's 
the you know his raw numbers are looking good, but the team is playing horribly. I think it's kind of ironic there, and and perhaps maybe actually maybe not ironic is not the right word. Um, maybe not so coincidental. Worst defensive rating on the team at 116.7. Again, defensive ratings in a 10-game sample size taken with a huge grain of salt. Also the worst net rating on the team at minus 9.3. Teams have also started going to the hack-a-plum. Not, not so much over the last three or four games, but there was a, a stretch there where teams were starting to go to the hack-a-plum. And that's at least interesting because in a playoff series, you almost certainly will see it. And it's going to be interesting to see how Denver responds um, if he becomes somewhat unplayable in certain moments. Um, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Plumley without Jokic on the floor has had a minus 20.7 net rating. So as bad as as Plumley and Jokic together has been over this stretch, it's actually been worse when it's been Plumley and not Jokic. Now, again, I don't think this is Plumley's fault. I think Plumley's a good player. You listen to the show, you know I'm not a huge fan of his skill set. Um, guys that can't score, I think, are, are easier to game plan for. But I do think he's very useful and actually can be a really good player. Um, and we saw this when Jokic went down and Plumlee was playing with Harris and Murray. Like, he looked great. Um, but, but you know, the minus 20.7 net rating, they're really struggling right now with him. And I do think that there's some we're going to talk about in a little bit, if you change the starting lineup and move Plumlee to the bench, Lyles to the starters, well, now your bench has a lot of non-scoring threats on there. So uh, th there's no, I don't think there's any easy solution here for the Nuggets. Jamal Murray, 17.8 points, 3.2 assists, 33.3% three-point field goal percentage. So his shot, which was just absolutely on fire in the month of uh, December, has kind of fallen off a little, little mini slump. I wouldn't read too much into it. 44.2% from the field. <laughs> he leads the team in field goal attempts over the last 10 games. I think that's kind of interesting. He's also second in minutes per game at 35.4. So just playing a heck of a lot of minutes. And maybe that's the, maybe these two things go hand in hand. If you recall, the last 10 and 10 I did, I talked about his hot shooting, and he was playing, I think, 31 minutes per game. And I talked about how that's like the perfect number for him because I don't think his legs are tired. Um, he's a young guy. 35 you know, I'm, I'm guessing, I, I wonder about, he would never admit it. He's one of these guys that never admits pain or any of the tie fatigue, any of those things. But I do wonder if it's affecting his jump shot at all. Just something to kind of keep an eye on. And again, Murray Plumley lineups without Jokic have a minus 26.6 net rating in 69 minutes. So small sample size overall, but for 10 games, not bad. And it's just getting absolutely murdered, which I find interesting because I would actually guess that Plumley and Murray could have a really nice pick and roll game going. Um, but Plumley not so much of a threat on the on the roll except for the lob and Murray so good at turning the corner off of the screen and and getting that that mid range pull up jumper so um, curious that they those two have been so bad Murray and Jokic without Plumley a plus eighteen point six net rating one hundred and twenty one minutes and I bring this up again I'm I'm gonna a lot of this stuff is gonna sound like me beating a, a dead horse here and maybe it is but. Murray has been in a slump over the last 10 games, a big slump. But if you look at it, when he's playing alongside what I think is the team's best lineups, he's a plus 18.6 net, an enormous net, not just a little one, like a absolutely dominating. That's 121 minutes. So, um, so again, all of these things I think have to be taken within context. And I would, uh, he he's got to get better with with Plumlee because he's going to continue to play a lot of minutes with him. Um, but over the last 10 games, at least, it's been a trend in the wrong direction. Will Barton, 13 points per game, 4.8 assists. That's a lot of assists. Only 1.7 turnovers, 37.8% field goal percentage, also in a slump. Look at how many guys are in a slump right now. 
36% three-point field goal percentage. So he's actually shooting the same percentage or almost the same percentage from three as he is from two. Uh, he has a 103.8 offensive rating, or the Nuggets do when he's on the court. That's the second worst of all rotation guys. Um, <laughs> and again, I, I apologize in advance. You guys can probably turn this off if you're sick of hearing this me going to this well. Plus 10.9 net rating with Nikola Jokic um, and without Mason Plumlee. That's 127 minutes. Minus 8.9 net with Plumlee and no Jokic. So again, just like Jamal Murray, Will Barton's a guy who has basically a tw- – with Jamal Murray, it was a 40 point, 44 net rating swing with will barton it's a 20 net rating uh swing and so so another one that i think you look at and say is he in a slump or is it just right now they haven't figured out how to play these bench lineups slash double big double center lineups that it's an interesting question i don't have the answer to minus 20 net rating with both now just 28 minutes they played Barton, Plumley, and Jokic together for just 20 minutes, and that lineup got absolutely torched. It was all defensive. I think they had like a 120. Again, 28 minutes means you didn't even play a full a full 100 possessions. But nonetheless, they got scored on like 70 points in 20 minutes, and they and they personally scored like 45 points. So they scored at a really really high rate. It's just they got scored on every single time down court. And I think with Barton, the number one thing I look at for him over the last really this is the last 10 games it's really been bad but I think for the last like two months his defense has been really 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 bad really bad and he's getting blown by a lot and you think about it okay you got two centers out on the court you got Jokic you put a stretch four out there he's got to close out to the three-point line well if he's constantly Barton constantly getting beat Jokic constantly helping the kick out that just uh lends itself to a lot of a lot of those three-pointers so Interestingly enough, something to keep an eye on. Again, not enough minutes to draw conclusions from all of the stuff today. Not enough to, to draw like serious conclusions from, but a lot of a lot of evidence, a lot of little evidence that all points in the same direction. Um, here's another interesting one for Barton, and I think this actually he has the lowest assisted field goals, uh, like percentage of his shots that are assisted of his entire career, without Jokic on the court. So all all minutes he's played over the last 10 games without Jokic, he's been assisted on just 25% of his shot attempts. Three quarters of his shot have been unassisted when Jokic is not on the court. It doubles when Jokic is on the court all the way to 48%. So he goes basically to half. Um, I think this is a big read. You look at Barton and you look at some of the inefficiency, 37.8%. I think a lot of this has to do with um, with who he's playing with and, and the minutes that he's playing with. Now, another... I'm another way to look at this is and this has been steady by the way for two years is a lot of these guys that I think we value so highly look so good next to Jokic and look so good so bad not next to Jokic and and it's an interesting way to kind of at least it's a it's a mind experiment about how how the value of these guys on other rosters Gary Harris 36.1 minutes per game and I love Will Barton by the way this is not a this is not by any means a, a knock on him just just kind of pointing the trend Gary Harris, 36.1 minutes per game, 19.2 points per game, 3.2 assists, 41% from three, 54% from the field. The one guy we found him, the one guy that's not in a slump. Um, <laughs> the, the one guy is Gary Harris. Wilson Chandler maybe also not in a huge slump, but by his, you know, kind of the same as, as he's been all year. But Gary Harris, not in a slump. Yet, listen to this. This is, I think, fascinating. He has the second worst net rating over the last 10 games. So we talk about the one guy who's scoring really, really well, and the team is getting killed with him on the court. 
It doesn't really make sense. Um, I do think the one thing I'll say about Gary Harris over the last 10 games, when Jokic went down, I thought Gary Harris's game went to a whole other level and, and played the best basketball of his entire career. Since Jokic has come back, I think that his game has changed a little bit. Gary Harris's game has changed a little bit. I think his confidence has shot up. And I think his one-on-one game, he, he's looked to attack one-on-one a lot more than I think at any other point in his career. One of the things I love about Gary Harris and one of the thing, reasons I think he's such an efficient player is he lets the game come to him. Opposite of Will Barton, so many of his shots are assisted. Gary Harris, I think, had the highest assisted percentage of his field goal attempts that were assisted that was not Plumlee or, or Fareed, who are basically everything they get is assisted. So, um, But Gary Harris, right there with those guys in terms of everything he gets assisted over the last 10 games, a little bit less so. And I think with him, the Nuggets are better if he can create his own shot. Like in the long run, they're better. But I, I think there will be a period, and it's probably going to be the rest of this season and all in the next season, a period where he's kind of testing the boundaries of what he can and should do um, because the team needs him to create, but they also need him to be wise about when he creates. And I think it's honestly, it's not that much. I'm already overstating it, but I think he's, he stepped a little bit too far in the other direction over the last 10 games. Um, So, so it's good that he is learning to be more aggressive and and succeeding at it. But I think the calibration is going to take some time to get it just right. Malik Beasley played in eight of the last 10 games, 12.3 minutes per game, three points per game, 21% three-point field goal percentage. Now, random, he hasn't played that many minutes, so you know we're looking at like 100 minutes here, basically. He has an 88.7 defensive rating, which is not just the best of the guys that have played. That's the best by a wide margin. 88.7 would be like the best probably in history uh, if it was a team's defensive rating. So he is... I, I've... I noticed that some at times he he's really intense on defense. He flies around. He kind of plays like Tory Craig, actually. Now that I think of it, in that it's not always the technique. It's just in the, like speed, athleticism, effort, and like intensity that he plays with. And I think his focus obviously needs a ton of of improving. I think he's one of the guys that Malone rides hardest on the team. Will Barton or who was it? I think it was oh no, it was Richard Jefferson in the locker room the other day talking about how Malone really chewed out Beasley in front of everyone at practice the other day. Just really, really got on to him specifically. Uh I think he's I think he rides him quite a bit, but it's worth pointing out that he has this great defensive rating over the last ten games. I think he's got a really quick trigger on the offensive end. I joke with Harrison Wind about this, my my colleague and friend. He Beasley is a guy that is not afraid to put shots up and I think for him, and this isn't a good I mean twenty one percent, Malone said something to the effect of, you know, he's a guy that to, for him to be a, a consistent part of the rotation, he's got to knock down shots, and that's kind of a lot of pressure to put on a, a twenty-year-old guy. But but it's true. Like if he's going to be out there, his defense isn't good enough that you can say, "Oh, he's our defensive stopper." He's got to be a, a two-way player, and I think he has it in him to be an elite sh- three-point shooter. It's just he's he's he hasn't had it over the last ten games, and I think for him, one thing that he needs is he needs a. He, I think he needs his role to be defined maybe with a little bit more clarity. And what I mean by that is I don't know what shots he's supposed to take. I know he takes a lot of shots that I don't like, but I would like to know, you know where he's supposed to be shooting on the court if there's certain looks. You know, when I watch Gary Harris and Jamal Murray play, I can almost always anticipate – when they're going to get a shot off like as soon as they're coming around for the handoff or whenever the action begins I'm like okay I could see Gary Harris getting a shot here Wilson Chandler this is his call 
I'd like to know with Malik Beasley, is he supposed to be, um, you know, purely an off-ball spot-up guy? Is that like his main role, cut and, and spot-up? Is he supposed to be getting catching dribble handoffs, you know? I would like to know what type of shots he's supposed to be hunting for and shooting opportunities because right now I don't know. And maybe uh, I'm sure Malone has talked about these things with him in detail, so it's not like I think nobody's ever discussed this, but I think um, that's one thing that will improve his game is the more clarity he has there. I think he seems very coachable. Malik Beasley, never heard a bad thing about him. Talking to him, he's incredibly – he's very buttoned up. Like he's been coached how to how to address the media, but I think he's uh, he seems to me like a genuinely uh, good coachable player. That uh, the more direction he gets, I think the better. Wilson Chandler, eight point three points, five point six rebounds, one point five assists, one point six turnover. So his assist to turnover ratio is actually a negative. Forty percent from the field, thirty five percent from three. Thirty five percent from three, by the way, relative to everybody, all the other Nuggets is actually not bad. Um, so so. I think Wilson for the year has been pretty consistent um, with with who he is and what he is. <coughs> Somehow, and this is another, mark this down as a major complaint. Somehow he's only played 64 minutes with my favorite front court combination, which is Chandler, Lyles, and Jokic. That trio in just 54 minutes has outscored opponents by 23 points. Um, that's a plus 18 net rating if you're curious. But they've outscored by 23 points, and I talked about this on the last 10 and 10 that I want to see more and more of these lineups. I think that they have the the um, mobility to, to be a regular defensive lineup. I don't think they're going to be a great world-beating defensive lineup, but I don't think they're worse than any of the other Nuggets' most-used lineups. And I, But I think offensively, Jokic, I've talked about this, Jokic is so good at lobbing the ball over into the post on entry passes. And Lyles and Chandler both almost always, it's so easy to get mismatches, especially when they're on the floor together, that I feel like Jokic is always just, you know, Wilson Chandler posting up DJ Augustine like Jokic just lobs it over the top Wilson gets a dunk same thing goes for Lyles who's Lyles by the way actually really really good at exploiting those mismatches he's become increasingly good and and Jokic just seems to really love giving the ball to guys in that position so somehow it's only played 64 minutes I would I would love to see that lineup you know I talked about how if I were the Nuggets I would build I would start with how do we get Jokic going and, and spiral off of that it wouldn't take too many spirals for me to look at and say okay I'd really like to get these Chandler Lyles Jokic minutes as well that would be you know high on the priority list um, of things I would be looking to do um, or if you really want to get crazy 28 minutes of those three that I just mentioned plus um murray and harris which is my favorite lineup i think it's the the lineup of the 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 death lineup for the denver nuggets so that would be murray harris chandler lyles Jokic. they've outscored opponents by 15 points in 28 minutes um so I, i would love to see that lineup get more now a lot of people have said that's the starting lineup that they want um and i agree that lineup i think is really really good a, a week ago, this is where I, I have to give a Maya culpa because a week ago I said I don't think you should start this lineup, and now we're, we're only one week later, and I'm saying that I think um, it should at least be considered. Um, you know, my, my rationale was that the Plumlee-Jokic lineup hadn't been great up to that point, but I, I, I likened it to a boxer that that's where you work the body and then you have your death lineup you go to. Well, the Nuggets haven't gone to that death lineup enough. If you extrapolate 60, actually 28 minutes, that means they've gone on average 2.8 minutes per game to the lineup I love. That that means they're not going to it very regularly. Um, but on top of that, 
I just wonder if you could get if you could survive the bad bench lineup minutes. If you started that lineup, that means you have a bench lineup of Barton, Plumley, Beasley, and you're going to have to rotate some other guys in there. I don't think there's a great a great fit there. Um, I don't think there's a great combination of guys there that you know that works with. So, so it makes the bench significantly uglier. But I'll tell you what, the bench has been ugly all year. I don't know that I don't know that that bench is going to be that much uglier. In fact, I think that there's ways you can coach that bench to be more of a grinded out style. So rather than try to run with Beasley and Barton, two guys that really like to run, if you go to a bench lineup that has Richard Jefferson, Mason Plumley, Beasley and Barton and then, you know, plug in one of the starters. You go to that lineup, you just you you consciously talk about how you're going to be very slow paced with those groups and try to and try to really grind people out in the half court um over those minutes and try to buy some time so that, that's just one idea and then the other thing with wilson will the trade deadline affect him this is a uh, he's a guy that i think people will be at least calling about uh at the trade deadline he's a, he's a guy whose name has popped up into conversations around the trade deadline before so it'll be interesting to see. It will rumors start to come out. I think rumors will start to come out about a lot of Nuggets players, and it'll be interesting to see how that affects the team chemistry, morale, um, and then those players specifically. I mean, what if we start seeing trade rumors for Will Barton? Oh, sources say the Nuggets are in talks or have had talks about Will Barton to such and such team. Does Will Barton? How does that affect him? Um, I think it's going to be interesting. Also worth noting, and again, I'm banging the same drum here. So plug yours if you're sick of this one. Somehow that death lineup that I love has played, or, or actually I should just say the front court. So we're talking about Chandler, Lyles, and Plumley. So you swap out Jokic and Plumley, and they got killed. In just 22 minutes, they were outscored by like 17 points or something, almost a point a minute, and they hadn't gone back to it really since. And it, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. Wilson and Pl- Wilson and Lyles don't really, or I'm sorry, Wilson and Plumley not elite outside shooters. Plumley obviously not an outside shooter at all. But I think in those lineups, when you talk about, oh, now we can exploit Lyles has a mismatch, this or that. You just help off of Plumley or you help off of Wilson. And you say, if Wilson's going to knock down 35% three-point shooter is going to knock down shots, we're still going to run him off the line. But if he can make contested threes, then so be it. And unfortunately, I just don't have a ton of faith in that lineup to, to do that. <coughs> that brings me to Trey Lyles. 16.7 points per game. That's the third most on the team. How crazy is that? Trey Lyles, the third leading scorer over the last 10 games, 7.4 rebounds. His rebounding has been a surprise. I didn't realize he was this good of a rebounder. 37.5 three-point field goal percentage. I think that's probably what he is as a three-point shooter. I I never thought he was a 50% three-point shooter. Didn't think he was a 40% three-point shooter. 37.5. Now, it is worth noting. He's just one for 11 on it in the last three games from the three-point line. So actually, his three-point percentage has been really good still for seven of the last 10 games. It's just the last three that, that it's fallen off, so something to keep an eye on. And he's taken almost five three-pointers a game, uh, really, really high. 51.7% from the field, so his his, his shooting, he, he's still shooting at the rim really, really well. And I think a lot of those are like unassisted type just exploiting mismatches, driving slower guys to the basket or posting up littler guys. But has he entered a slump? The last three games have been a little bit weird, and the Nuggets, I don't think it's a coincidence the Nuggets have looked so bad. I mean, they beat a Memphis team that is just absolutely garbage right now. That's the only win they had in those last three. And maybe it it correlates a little bit with Trey Lyles being in a slump, so kind of interesting. The Nuggets also played him at center for 43 minutes over the last 10. Now, 
I don't love it. The Nuggets have two centers on their roster. I just think that that's what you that's how you play. But I have to say, he at least has not been too bad in those in as a center. In fact, I think his game kind of goes to a whole other level. He he leads the team in usage uh, in those minutes. Again, it's only forty three minutes, so these sample sizes are like very susceptible to like they they play him at center for ten minutes in the next game. All these numbers are going to change drastically. Um, but he scores really efficiently. He has 46 points on 28 shots. First of all, he took 28 shots in 43 minutes. That's pretty impressive. Let's all take take a moment to like appreciate that enormous shot total. But he scored 46 points on him. So as a, he's a great, I think he's a very good stretch four offensively. He's an even better stretch five, it looks like. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so then the Jokic-Lyle stuff I think is, I, I think it's really sustainable. The thing for them is it's sustainable in the long run will be the defense and this is where I think if you start to really start to look long-term, you look at Jokic and Millsap together, it can be a great defensive pairing and a very good offensive one. Jokic-Lyles, I think, can be a great offensive one. Can it be an average defensive one? That's that's going to be the trick for that one. Um, so, so that's kind of the interesting, the interesting thing to think about long-term with those guys. Richard Jefferson. Really curious how he would look next to you. We don't we don't have a ton of Richard Jefferson um, stats or, or minutes to even look at and, and fully digest. Malone did say the other day at practice he expects Richard Jefferson to be in the rotation for the next ten games or so. Actually, I think he said for the rest of the year, but he also at another time said for ten games. Now I know this about Malone, and I actually appreciate it about Malone and people that were asking him to change the starting lineup. One thing I will say. We're talking about 10-game sample sizes, and I've said 10 times now how you can't draw too many conclusions from that. I think it's true as a coach, and probably the toughest thing as a coach is knowing when do you when do you react? Because you have a lineup, you say, okay, we're going to start this lineup. They go to it and get killed, um, but the sample size, like six games, they get killed. They go one and five in that stretch. Do you say, okay, it's a really small sample size. Do I throw everything out? I think that's a tough. I think that's tougher than most people think. For example, we've had a lot of lineups that have looked really good in small minutes, three, four games stretches, and then they've looked bad for the next four, or five games. So trends happen in the NBA. Guys get hot. Guys make shots. Other teams go on runs. You get unlucky bounces, unlucky whistles. Uh, I, I think it's really tough. So the fact that he said Richard Jefferson is going to play, I suspect he'll play um, consistent minutes at least for the next week or two, probably two weeks. Um, and the team will be able to evaluate, okay, has he been useful? I actually like Richard Jefferson, and I know he's slow. He looks uh, uh, a little bit puffy compared to maybe two seasons ago when he was on the championship Cavs team. You know, he's up longer in the tooth, all of these things. But one thing he is, there's two things. One, I think he's a smart player. Um, and, I, and I think as a leader, I think him playing minutes makes him a better leader um, or, or just makes his leadership more impactful. But the other thing, and this is the most important thing, he defers. He's not a guy that tries to create shots. Uh, in fact, he just stays in his line, in, in his lane. And I think, um, I've said this a lot, the more you can put guys that can knock down shots and cut, but who also defer around Jokic, the better. Because Jokic is like Peyton Manning. He's a very good decision maker when, you, when he gets opportunities. And I'm not talking about he gets one touch in the half court. The more consistently he's involved in the half-court offense, the better. So Richard Jefferson is a guy that, in my mind, you plug him in there, say, with Trey Lyles. You, you, you swap Wilson out. You put Richard Jefferson in 
alongside Lyles and Murray and Harris. Now you've got one more guy who's not going to – Richard Jefferson's not going to take bad shots in that lineup. One of the things that bugs me so much about Plumlee, watching Plumlee play, is you got Murray, Harris, Jokic on the court, and you got Plumlee taking post-up shots or mid-range jumpers or floaters. And I just think the odds – the point value of that shot relative to any other shot that, that those three guys could generate or, or the offense will generate with those three guys on the court is just horrible. Richard Jefferson's a guy that – obviously different positions but he's a guy that i don't think is gonna i I think he's gonna shoot too little not not too much the other day he was one for one from the floor in like 20 minutes i think he's a guy that's just gonna stay in his lane and that's why i think he could work now why he couldn't work is again he's old (laughs) i don't know how consistently he's gonna be able to knock down even open shots and so will teams start to sag off of him and then defensively if you're talking about a lyles Jokic front court that that is a lineup that i worry about defensively and and with wilson you know, he's done some nice things, I think, this year on the defensive end. Um, can Richard Jefferson kind of copy that or even take it up another notch? That'll be kind of interesting to see. Tory Craig appears to be out of the rotation. I don't know how consistently he's going to play. It looks like Richard Jefferson moves into that spot. Malik Beasley also starting to play a little bit more. And I think with Tory Craig, some of the shine has come off. And a lot of it, honestly, defensively. Offensively, I even when he was knocking down shots, I thought his form was weird. He dribbles the ball like he's out of control. All these things. I still like him as a player. But defensively, he hasn't looked as good as, as maybe I'd hoped. Um, and, and and so that's kind of the, the wrap on him. But it looks like he's out of the rotation. So that's it, guys. I know this is a negative one, but I promise you, the Nuggets are in – this is an interesting point, not just in this season. I think, obviously, a pivotal, important – as important a moment for the Nuggets as they've had over the last year and a half. But I think it's also probably an important moment for the franchise going forward because if they continue this life, they look the same way over the next 10 games as they did this last 10 games. Not only will the Nuggets be in danger of missing the playoffs, but I think some real decisions are going to be made, you know, like the trade deadline. Does that affect the way the Nuggets play? If they go 3-7 and seven in their next 10 games and they're like in the 10 spot, 9 or 10 spot in the playoff hunt, does that affect the way that they approach the trade deadline? I, I think it probably would. So this is a very pivotal, very interesting moment for the Denver Nuggets, I think. Um, and when I say interesting, I think if you're a fan of the Nuggets, it's going to be less interesting and more just stressful. Um, but if you're just an outside observer, impartial observer, I think it's interesting because it's going to be such an important moment. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll be back again all week with brand new episodes. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.